and welcome to mini episode 113 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And I have three spooky stories for you today. And the last story comes from the 29th of March, 2021. And story number one comes from Orz and Little B. My son, B, sees a lot of odd things. When he was two, we lived in rural Nebraska. One afternoon, he was lying on the living room couch. He was supposed to be napping. And all of a sudden, he sat up and stared out the window behind the couch. He then ran to our front door and started crying and trying to shove his shoes on. I asked him what was wrong and he kept telling me, Man needs help! and trying to open our door. I was looking out the door to try and see if I could see anyone out there and asked him to point out the man because I couldn't see anyone outside. He told me the man was on our screened-in porch and had owies for eyes. He told me that the man wanted in and begged me to help him. I was quietly freaking out at this point. I told him I couldn't see the man so I could not help him and that the man would have to try another house. B sat by the door for about half an hour and then informed me that the man was gone. Later that night after B was in bed I went out onto the porch to smoke. The minute I stepped out the door I felt this awful heavy feeling. I felt hopeless and felt like someone was deeply angry with me. I went back inside and called my mom crying. I ended up downloading an audio version of the Bible and grabbing some sage and sitting out on the porch for several hours with sage burning and psalms playing. Absolutely positive my neighbours thought I was insane but it worked I think. The energy eventually faded and B never said another word about the man with owies for eyes. You know what's commendable about this story is the fact that B wanted to help this man because I would not be wanting to help anybody who appeared on my porch with owies for eyes. I know that probably makes me sound like a very cold and callous person but I've done this podcast for three years. I know it can only end badly, okay? What I like about this story is that it is sustained. So B didn't just see the man with the owies for eyes and then carry on. He saw the man, wanted to let the man in and then waited for half an hour until the man was gone. It's a pretty long time. I think I would also be sitting outside with Sam's and Sage and anything else I could throw at getting rid of the man with the owies for eyes. And story number two comes from Cheryl. While I've always been a believer in the spirit world or the other side, whatever it is that is there... I haven't been gifted with any sort of insight, intuition or sensitivity to the spirit world. In 2013, me, my husband and our daughter Daisy moved into an 18th century cottage which sat on top of a hill, surrounded by fields and wildlife, with our only neighbour being an old friendly farmer called John. John had come over to introduce himself and explained how he was born in the cottage which his family had lived in for generations before it was bought by the National Trust. He showed us how the gigantic fireplace with hooks and notches in the dining room was used for cooking back in the day. He basically gave us a little history tour of the house's old layout and how he was happy to see a young family move in. The rope swing, which my husband and I had already decided was too creepy and must be replaced immediately, was hung in the large back garden by his great-grandfather. You get the gist. A sweet, old, lonely man, excited to step foot in his house again and chat about its history. During our time in the house, which was a little over two years, we had a few things happen that were not pleasant. Nothing that I couldn't put logic to, 
but the final things my daughter saw had us move out within a month. Firstly, we never used the front door as it entered immediately into the living room with just a small wooden porch added onto the front of the building for insulation. As it was rarely used, the two large bolt locks on the door were stiff and so the porch was rarely cleaned. One afternoon I decided to hoover up the cobwebs and dirt from the little porch and as I opened the front door I was met with possibly over 100 dead ladybugs all over the walls and floors. I snapped a video to my husband and made him clean it up when he got home. Fuck no, that was not for me. The back door, which we always used with a Yale lock on it, led out from the kitchen into a small boot room with a toilet and a further outside door leading into the garden and closest to where we parked our cars. My daughter was around six months old and we had done our usual morning routine, driving into the nearest town 30 minutes away and having a walk around, going to the play park or shopping. When I got back, I sat her down on the rug surrounded by her toys and proceeded to go back to the car for the shopping. As I stepped out, the kitchen door slammed behind me. I thought it was fine as I'd put the latch on so it wouldn't lock. I always put it on the latch and never had had a problem before. When I came back into the boot room, I realised I'd been locked out. Struck in a panic, I searched around for the nearest thing to break the small square of glass in the door. I found a brick and smashed as hard as I could, as many times as I could, and I threw the brick as hard as possible multiple times, but to no avail. The glass didn't even crack. I peeped through the living room window to check on my daughter who was sat playing happily and seemed oblivious to the loud bangs I was making furiously trying to get back into the house. I ran over to John the farmer's house to see if he could help me but he wasn't in. I ran back to the house, peeped in on my happily oblivious daughter again and went to find something heavier around the garden to break down the door. I found another brick but it felt slightly heavier so what the hell. As I walked into the boot room, I saw that the glass had shattered but was in place. I was able to use my hands and almost in one piece push it inwards and get into the house. I could have forgotten to put the latch on, or perhaps the hard shutting of the door made it somehow come undone. I tested the theory of the door shutting hard, but the Yale lock didn't budge. Maybe I did forget, but this happened a further four or five times while we lived there, Not always the same situation, but always with my daughter inside and me having just stepped out of the kitchen. When my daughter was nine months old, we had a sunny day, so I was opening windows around the house to get some much-needed airflow. Some of the windows were stiff, but they opened with a little push. The kitchen window next to the back door just didn't want to budge, so with one final attempt, my hand went straight through the glass And as I pulled my hand back through the window, I immediately thought, shit, I've broken another window. Dean's going to be so annoyed with me. Then I saw blood ferociously squirting from my wrist, hitting the ceiling and spraying everywhere. It was a pure gore horror scene. I grabbed the nearest tea towel and applied pressure to my wrist while desperately searching for the house phone. We had two, one upstairs and one downstairs. When I couldn't find the phones, I decided to use my mobile. There was no signal, no Wi-Fi, and my emergency call to 999 wouldn't go through. At this point, I was on my second tea towel, having bled through the first. I legged it upstairs and found both landline phones just under our bed. 
I managed to call 999 and being in the middle of nowhere, our address was not easily found. I was asked to unlock and open the front door and stay on the phone until the paramedics arrived. As I explained before, the front door bolts were very stiff, but this time they glided open. I knelt on my wrist with a soaking tea towel, cuddling my daughter, praying not to die. I really did think that I was going to die. I was taken to A&E with my daughter riding in her car seat with us. I had lost a lot of blood and kept sort of dazing in and out, so they had to lie me on a stretcher. I know, once a drama student, always a drama student. The hospital glued my wrist back together and told me I was extremely fortunate as I had barely missed slicing my main artery. We got back to the house late, around 8pm, and as I reached for the back door, blood began seeping down my arm despite the bandages and the glue. A few weeks after this, we'd put our daughter to bed and sat down for a relaxed evening with TV, beer and some snacks. Suddenly, out of the living room fireplace, a bat came out in a flurry, swooping in circles. My husband immediately got up and ran to the door to observe what the fuck was happening and how to deal with the situation at hand. I was in the fetal position on the sofa, hands over my head, feeling the bat whoosh past at close range. It went quiet and my husband shouted, stay still. Instead, I screamed. A scream I didn't think I was capable of and ran out of the living room, shutting him and the bat inside. He was giggling at me, but I swear that bat had it in for me. Dean caught it like a spider in a large glass bowl, slipped some paper underneath and took it outside. Not before teasing me with it and saying how cute it was. After all this fuss, my screaming and Dean's laughter, I went to check on Daisy and she was still surprisingly sound asleep. Before I get to the final part of this long story, I would like to explain how often our electricity would go out, how often we used the fireplaces and when my husband was working away, how I felt incredibly uneasy alone in the house. Many other little things would happen, but these were the sort of main events until October 2016. My daughter was a chatty little thing and even at two years of age she would say what she needed to communicate. One morning at around 6.30am it was very bleak and foggy outside. Daisy had been glued to her iPad. Yes, she was too, with an iPad, so sue me. I was in the kitchen making coffee when Daisy said, Mum at door. I went to the living room to see her looking out of the window which saw the path leading to the front door. Wow, the postman is early this morning, I said. I opened the living room door expecting to see someone by the porch. I was almost always expecting an Amazon parcel. However, nobody was there. I told Daisy there was nobody there. And Daisy said, yes, sad lady. I asked her, was the sad lady still there? And Daisy said, no, she's gone, lady sad. I asked her why the lady was sad. And Daisy said, Leg, she crying. I woke up my husband and told him, but before he got his arse downstairs, Daisy said again with more urgency this time, Mama, door! I went to the door, opened both, looked around, out the front and came back in. I explained to my daughter that there wasn't anyone there. My daughter was, and still is, a very logical girl. She used to let me know when the postman had knocked or put something through the letterbox, so I was in no position to question whether or not she had actually seen or heard anything. She was telling the truth. 
Two weeks went by and this happened again. She saw a sad, crying lady limp past the front window, get to the door, and when I would check, the lady would disappear. We were already toying with the idea of moving to London while Dean finished his barrister's chamber's law thingy. When, once again, Daisy saw the lady, but this time on the stairs. The stairs which led straight up from the kitchen, next to the back door, and the window which I broke. I didn't want to question my daughter about this too much. I only asked if she felt safe. Daisy said yes, but that the lady had a poorly leg and was sad. As things escalated with my daughter seeing more of the sad lady, we bit the bullet and by early December we had moved to London. I will never question if this was real or not. It was. My daughter was seeing a ghost or an entity tied to the old cottage. I've wondered over the years if I should have done more. Asked Farmer John if any of his relatives had poorly legs, but to be completely honest, I was just afraid. I would like to add, as if this story isn't long enough, that my mother-in-law, who is Filipino, so perhaps it is in her belief system, she had always said to me, ever since my father-in-law passed away, that the dead come back and visit you as a robin. Everywhere we have lived, even in the thick of London, all year round, we would see a robin in the garden. Then, in 2019, while I was in labour with my son, I went outside for some air and two robins came and perched next to me on the bench, looked at me, stayed for a moment and went. Then another robin came and did the same thing. I truly believe it was my nan, my granddad and then my father-in-law coming along to let me know that they were with me. So on the point of the Robins, the Robins as loved ones coming back is a pretty common belief, I think. I know a lot of Irish people believe that. So I don't think it's strictly speaking like something that's ingrained in Filipino country. I think it's quite quite common for people to believe that Robins are the embodiment of their loved ones coming back to check on them, which I think is quite sweet. And again, we have a child having a sustained experience with something. So this didn't happen once. This happened numerous times. She said the same thing. She, you know, stuck to the same story, saying that it was a lady who was sad and she had a sore leg. And it's really hard to understand what she was trying to achieve. So if we are to believe that this crying lady with the sore leg is the reason for the slamming door that locked you out when specifically when your daughter was alone in the house and that made it difficult to get help when the window broke and you hurt your wrist. I don't know. What was she trying to achieve? And on the point of you saying, you know, that you should have maybe found out more about the girl or the woman in the house, etc, etc. Like, I think we put too much pressure on ourselves to find out a definitive answer to everything. And sometimes we're better off not knowing. You know, sometimes it's better off to say, I'm just going to leave this as it is. I know this is happening, but I don't need to know all of the answers. I don't need to know whether the farmer had a relative with a poorly leg because it might freak you out more than you already were. And it might make you then question everything that your daughter says and, and thinking, oh my God, is she seeing things? Is that real? Is this real? So I don't know. Sometimes maybe we're better off not knowing. I absolutely love the sound of this cottage from an aesthetic perspective. I would love to live in an old cottage. But then I hear stories like this and I think I wouldn't love to live in an old cottage. Because <laughs> I'd be shit myself all the time. And the final story today was sent in by Tyler. But Tyler found the story on Reddit from a user called Crying in Church. And Tyler emailed it in and said, look, I found this story. 
it's really scary and I thought you might like it. So, so here we go. This story is from Crying in Church on Reddit and it was posted in the The Truth Is Here subreddit. This happened when I was around 13 or so. It was summertime and I was on vacation with my parents. We had hit the road and driven quite a ways to visit my older sister who lived across the country. After spending time together and sharing supper, we decided to call it a night. My parents slept in my sister's bedroom and she slept in the neighbouring room with her small son. It's important to note a few things at this point. My mother is a round, short woman with very delicate feminine features. She has round glasses and that night went to bed in a long blue nightgown. My sister, on the other hand, is very tall and athletically built, taking after my dad in regards to her facial features. She too has glasses, but unlike my mother, hers were square-shaped. She went to bed in a shorter orange and striped nightgown. These small but substantial differences are key. Now, since all of the bedrooms were full, I was given a blanket and a pillow to sleep on the couch with. Of course, like any kid, I watched TV for a few hours well into the night. At around 4am, it dawned on me that we had plans for the next day, so I should try and get some rest. After tossing and turning for about an hour or so, I gave up and just laid on my back staring at the stars visible from the nearby window. As the natural light flooded the room from the sun rising, I flipped through some photo albums. I did this for a while, not having slept at all the entire night. At this point, I was pretty bored and lonely, hoping someone would wake up soon and talk to me. At around 8am, I heard a door slowly open and someone come out into the hallway. At my sister's house, the living room is sunken in and a small staircase of maybe three steps leads to the raised kitchen and dining room. The hallway is also in this raised area and connects to the bathroom and bedrooms. In the living room, there is a doorless archway that leads down to the basement and the laundry room. This means that I could look up and see what was going on in the dining area from the couch. This person hummed a little and then was caught off guard by a table in the dining room, full of framed pictures of family my sister had on display. I don't know how to describe the way they looked at the photos besides saying they were bewildered by them. Maybe even enchanted, letting out an occasional, oh, and, oh. I could tell it was a woman, but I wasn't sure if it was my mother or my sister. This was strange because, like I said, they looked alike, but were also very distinguishable. I also felt this weird feeling because everyone in my family has seen these photos many times and I'd even say may own a few copies of their own of those exact same photos. So why act so amazed by them? I said, Hey Ma, what are you doing? In a nervous yet warm voice and there was no response. Okay, then it was my sister. Hey, good morning. What are you making your dear sibling for breakfast? No response. Huh. I knew I was definitely loud enough. They had heard me for sure. That uneasy feeling in my stomach grew stronger now and I had no idea why. The likeness of my sister and mother was there. So it wasn't like a stranger or something. Then I noticed something very off. 
They were wearing a knee-length blue and orange striped nightgown. Their height wasn't short, but it wasn't tall either. It was average. They had a muscular build, but could not be called skinny either. The hair was the same colour as both my sister and my mother's, and so was the skin colour. My heart skipped a beat, and I thought, who the hell is this? Maybe someone stayed overnight. But how could they have? I had laid right beside the front door all night. When they turned around and went to inspect another photograph on the wall near the staircase, their face made my heart sink. It was a hybrid of my mother and my sister's most discernible features, with glasses that were round on the bottom but squared on the top. Their eyes were not my mother's or my sister's. They were very wide and unnerving and darted all around the walls very quickly, very excitedly. It was as if my mother and my sister had been Frankensteined together into one person. My knee-jerk reaction after seeing their face was to scooch my legs in and pretend I was sleeping. I could feel the veins in my neck beating very hard and my breathing became laboured and loud. Whoever the hell it was came down the stairs and looked around the living room with the same excitement. I don't know how to explain how scared I was as it came closer to me. I thought maybe if I stayed quiet it would pass me by. I was also scratching and pinching myself now in case I was asleep without realising it. The pain was very real. I was awake. The thing, I watched with my eyes squinted, took up an interest in a photo album I had left on the table very close to me. Then, the worst thing that could have happened happened. My sister's portable home phone rang. My sister had answered a call last night and had put the phone on the couch's frame between the wall and its cushions. The thing's face became very alarmed and it turned in my direction and saw me and became very, very angry. I opened my eyes and looked at her in the face and just stared back with my entire body trembling. Its eyes were pure black, total darkness, like two huge pupils staring right at me and furious. It opened its mouth unnaturally wide and screamed no at me, and then turned and darted down the stairs to the basement where I heard a door slam shut and it kept yelling no, 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 no. I stared at the archway for a long time, still shaking and digging my nails into my arm, begging to wake up because I was so afraid it would come back, wishing I was just dreaming. I literally could not move because I was too scared to get up in case it came back or was waiting at the arch, and I could not even speak. My brain abandoned me. An hour must have passed like that. I did not move. It had stopped yelling, and this was for some reason even scarier than when it had been yelling because at least then I was sure it was downstairs and not slowly climbing back up the stairs to fillet me alive. I heard the door open again from the hallway upstairs and stared at it full of adrenaline at this point. It was my mom, exactly herself, and in the right nightgown. She was humming as she put on the coffee and started making toast. Another door opened my sister this time, fully as she had looked before heading off to bed. She and my mom talked for a bit and I just stared at them. My sister eventually saw me staring at her over the banister and yelled, 
What the hell? Why are you staring at me? Why didn't you say something? I replied back in a really shaky voice. I did. Twice. They looked at each other confused and I told my mom I hadn't slept yet and she said that was a big mistake, etc. I ate breakfast with them and then realised I was awake and I'd really not slept at any point that night. I decided against my judgement to tell them what had just happened in case it came upstairs to hurt them. They pretty much laughed and told me I had just fallen asleep and imagined it and told me I was nuts. My sister told me to go to sleep with my nephew and asked me to try and fix the screen in her room as it had somehow fallen out the window onto the floor in the night. On my way to her room, I walked by that table in the dining room and noticed all of the frames were moved and in different places than last night. I pointed this out very excitedly, like, See? And my sister just shrugged it off and said her son liked looking at them. I kept pressing the issue, so my sister, much to my hysterical protest, went to the basement and went in every room just to make me shut up about it. She didn't see anything unusual. I laid in my bed and did not sleep a wink. I still think about it from time to time and did not ever sleep on that couch again, opting instead to sleep on the floor of the room my parents were in and locking the door. I've been questioning reality ever since. So people ask me all the time like whether stories scare me or whether I get freaked out or whether they're stories that, you know, keep me awake at night. It's stories like this that freak me out. Generally... I don't really get scared by things anymore. It's kind of water off a duck's back. Um, I've been doing this for a long time. But stories like that really scare me. Like that story gave me goosebumps. And yes, it very possibly could have been a dream. They could have fallen asleep without realising they'd fallen asleep and had a really vivid dream. But what if it wasn't a dream? That's the question. What was that creature? It reminded me of the film Vivarium. If you've seen Vivarium, there's a child in Vivarium who looks like a normal human child and then opens its mouth and does this horrible screeching noise. And then when the child grows up, it does some very strange uncanny valley stuff. And that's what's scary about this. It's the uncanny valley. The something is off about that person, but it takes me ages to figure out what it is. That kind of feeling. Tyler, this story was a great find. Thank you so much for sending it in. And thank you to Orzi and Little B and to Cheryl for also sending in their stories. If you would like to find out anything about the podcast, you can do so by logging on to reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And on that note, I shall see you next time.